0: You guys ready? Let's do this, Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Good to have you with us this morning. Working our way through the book of Exodus, The Way Out is the subtitle. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 22, we'll be looking at An Encounter with God is the title of this weekend's message. Let me give you a summary statement of what this whole book is about. We've been talking about it the last two weeks. We will talk about it throughout this whole series. God provides the way out from things that enslave our Egypt and leads us into awe and intimacy with Him, our promised land. The book is about redemption. Redemption basically means uh, to set free. Exodus chapter 1, we, named, uh, we titled it, uh, Blessing in Bitter Times because the Israelites are being oppressed by the Egyptians. And what's so fascinating about this story is that the more that they are oppressed, the more they tend to flourish. And uh, the only answer to that would be, if God is for you, who can be against you? That's the answer. And so the more that they are oppressed, the more they seem to flourish. And if you want to flourish, even though you may be in bitter times, What you need to believe is what we titled last weekend's message. You need to believe that God knows, cares, and rules the circumstances of our life for our good and his glory. And uh, we talked about that. And then we also saw that God was raising up a leader to lead the Egyptians, or I'm sorry, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of their enslavement. And that leader is, his name is what? Anybody? Anybody? Moses, yeah. And in fact, you see there on your notes, Moses believed in God, but it wasn't until this encounter, and that's this week, this is chapter three, an encounter with God, but it wasn't until this encounter that God became a living spiritual reality to him. Now, listen to me. It's one thing to believe in God in general. A lot of people in American culture believe in God. There's a high percentage that believe in God. Very few have actually encountered God. There's a major difference between believing in God, believing that God exists. It's another to have a life-changing encounter with God. Has that happened to you? Have you had a life-changing encounter with God? That's, that's the most important question I could ask you. Have you had a, a life-changing encounter with God? That's what we're talking about. You cannot encounter the creator of the universe and remain the same. He's gonna change your life drastically. We'll look at that here today in this story. Now here's the questions we're looking at. You see the, the outline there on your notes. How do we encounter God? How do we encounter God? What happens when we encounter God? Why can we encounter God? And when do we know we have encountered God? And you'll, you'll note the, the different features of the story will answer these questions. For instance, how do we encounter God? The bush will answer that question for us. What happens when we encounter God? The fire helps us to understand that. Why can we encounter God? The angel answers that question for us. And when do we know we have encountered God? The call will answer that question for us. Let's pray, and then we will uh, read through our text and unpack these notes. Would you bow your heads with me? So God, we are delighted to be here today. We love spending time with you. And we know that the greatest privilege conceivable and the purest pleasure imaginable is to to live our lives in vital union and communion with you. And the catalyst for that to happen is to have an encounter with you. And so we pray through the study of your, your holy word and the work of your Holy Spirit, may we encounter you this morning. Whether it's the first time for some or it's been a long time for others or maybe for some, it's, it's the best time of our everyday life. Wherever they might be, wherever we might be, we want to encounter you. And as a result, may we leave this place, may we leave this place this morning with, with hearts more healed and souls more satisfied and lives more liberated and, and our faith more fortified, unlike ever before. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name and everyone said... Amen. So this is what I'm going to do here, okay? I'm going to try. I did good last night, but I'm going to read completely through the text. It's a long text. It's hard for, for people with, uh, in our culture today, ADD. You know, a lot of us have ADD. I think everybody has ADD, attention deficit disorder. We all have that because our, our attention is so uh, short, and so we have a hard time. I'm going to read completely through this whole text, and I'm not going to say a thing. You want to bet me? Okay. No, you, you probably will win, but uh, I'm going to try. In uh, because there's so much in this text. This text uh, is is truly uh, like all of the texts are, are truly holy. But this is specifically uh, is holy, is holy ground. I mean, this this text really talking about the encounter, God. This is my favorite my favorite text. Okay, I say that every week too, don't I? But, uh, but it's my favorite topic, really, because uh, it's, it's really talking about intimacy with God. I love intimacy with God. I love knowing God. I love the fact that we can know God. Okay, so, so listen to this text. It's powerful. Let's walk through it here. If you've got your Bibles there, follow along. Now, this is chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? And when when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am, then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground." of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is, your, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey." And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor. And any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing, you shall Put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, okay, where's, I bet you how much. Was that a good text or what? Oh, my goodness, that's powerful. That's amazing. Okay, let's unpack it here. So here we go. How do we encounter God? The bush answers that question for us. Here's your first fill in the blank. It's in the wilderness that we meet God. And you see that in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. And where is he? He's in the wilderness. The word is interesting here in the Hebrew for keeping. It means tend, graze, feed, pasturing. But the verb here conveys continuance. Moses was watching and watching and watching because Moses' life was apparently at a dead end and he was raised in a royal egyptian house became an activist for the israelites killed a man fled for his life 40 years earlier lost all social financial political and physical capital capital and now he's 90 years old last last chapter uh, chapter 2 he was 40 well, we had his uh, his birth and childhood, and then his adulthood, and and uh, he was 40 years old. Now he's been in the wilderness for 40 years, and so that teaches us uh, something here. I mean, m- m- in a major way, he he is a failed, forgotten old man trying to make a living in a forgotten part of the world, and it's in the wilderness that we meet God. I gave you last week. Uh, I think I told you I didn't write it down. I've got it there on their notes. There's many other places. If you do a study on wilderness in the Bible, you're going to find a lot of references to wilderness. Genesis 28, Jacob encountered God in the wilderness. 1 Kings 19, Elijah found God in the wilderness, heard God in the wilderness. Matthew 3, John the Baptist. Matthew 4, Jesus. Galatians 1, Paul. So the wilderness is a place of loneliness, obscurity, failure, loss, pain, struggle, it's the dark night of the soul. It's in the wilderness God does his best work. See, it's in the wilderness where we come to an end of ourselves and come to the beginning of God. And um, But there's something that we must do in the wilderness if we're going to encounter God. We must turn aside from our busyness, amusements, and distractions. That's... That's the next fill in the blank on your notes. We must turn aside from our busyness, amusements, and distractions. Verse 3 of our text. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. And what's fascinating, then look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God call to him, God would not have called to him. He would have not heard God unless he turned aside. He had to turn aside. That's an interesting word. It means to go off the beaten path or the normal path or the main, main road. Moses had to stop what he was doing and leave the sheep and go over to the burning bush. See, in the wilderness, it's easy to dull our emotions with busyness, amusements, and distractions that promise but can never deliver what we need. And so what you've got to do is, uh, so in the wilderness, or maybe you're not in a wilderness, but you must turn aside from the busyness, amusements, and distractions. If you want to hear the voice of God, if you want to have an encounter with God, if you aren't regularly turning aside from the busyness, amusements, and distractions of life to be alone with God, you won't encounter God. God. There are so many distractions in our culture today. By the way, I just read a stat here just yesterday. One third of our time as adults, this isn't our kids, our kids probably spend more than this, but as adults, we spend on the internet and with our smartphones. One third of our time. So that's about eight hours a day. And it's probably including our TV time, too. That's crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. And so he, he turned aside. That's why I love, I put this on, on, your, uh, on your outlines, Psalm 4610. Anybody know what Psalm 4610 is? Be still and know that I am God. I love the way the message puts it. It says, step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God. When was the last time you did that? Hopefully you're doing it this morning, right now. So we need to... So in the wilderness, in our wilderness times, we need to turn aside. But in turning aside, we also need to do the next thing on your notes. We must think deeply about life's burning bushes. And that's what he does here. These are paradigm busters. Verse 3, the second part of verse 3, notice what he says here. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this... Notice how he describes it. This great sight, why the bush is not burned. It seems strange... The bush was on fire but not consumed. So what we need to do is we need to define, well, what is is a burning bush? What is this burning bush? Burning bush is a paradigm buster. It's a disruption to our ordinary life. It's something inexplicable that challenges your current understanding of life. It's something that forces you to think much deeper about life. Most of us don't know a burning bush when we see it, and and it's because our our lives are are so distracted with busyness, amusements, and, and distractions. That's why we don't we don't even know what a burning bush is. Therefore, we're not going to be able to hear God's voice and truly encounter Him. So, I started thinking about this. I made a list of of what burning bushes are. Burning bushes are tragedies. I. Uh, The funeral that I did just a week ago for that that, 23-year-old—that's a burning bush for those folks, the people that were part of that, that tragedy, that loss. Terribly devastating, and yet, God can speak to them through that. I hope and I pray that He did, through uh, the ceremony, through that uh, message that I gave to them. So it can be certainly tragedies. It can be a terminal diagnosis. It can be addictions. The struggle with an addiction, why do I do do this too much? Why do I eat too much? Why do I drink too much? Why do I watch too much TV? Why do I do all these things? What's driving that? What am I trying to cover up? What's going on in my life? It can uh, can be an inordinate emotion. It can be inordinate anxiety. I can't sleep nights or I'm bitter. Why am I so cynical and sarcastic about life? Or it can be despair, sense of hopelessness in my life. That's a burning bush. God wants to speak to you. As I was thinking through this, it can be spiritual emptiness. And be unaware of that. I've seen this happen a lot where people are struggling with, a, with an emptiness inside and their friends come along and say, well, you just need to hang out with us more. You need more friends. And so you do that and you're still empty. And then uh, you have other friends that come along and say, well, what you need to do is, well, you got friends. You just need to start exercising. Exercise because that's what's helped me. And so you go out and exercise and you still have some sort of an emptiness. And then you've got other friends that come along and say, well, okay, you're covering those bases. Uh, you know, uh, you got friends and, and you're exercising, but you might need some counseling. So get counseling, so you get counseling, and you're still empty. And all of those are good, and all of those are important, but they won't deal with spiritual emptiness. sight of every human being, there's an inconsolable human longing that there's nothing on this planet can satisfy. Only God can satisfy and so that's those, those in, that inconsolable human longing. You've tried everything and you just still come up restless and empty. and uh. Or it could be success emptiness. You've reached the, the top of the ladder. You've got all the money you want. You've got a big house. You've got a nice car. You got, your family's even doing good. And you're still just kind of uh, feel empty. I know what I'll do. I'll work harder. No, no, don't, don't do that. But that's typically what people do. Or I'll make more money or we'll buy that cabin in the mountains, or we'll do whatever it is. We start chasing something else. Maybe it's something else. I, I can't uh, help but forget that interview. We, sh- we showed it a uh, number of years ago here. It was, it was Tom Brady after he had had three Super Bowl rings, uh, model wife, million dollar contract, all of the stuff, all the success, all the fortune, all the fame, and there was an emptiness in that guy. And now he has a couple more uh, Super Bowl rings. He's going to go for another one, and uh, I'll guarantee you that all the Super Bowl rings in the world are not going to satisfy that deep longing, inconsolable human longing that's in his heart. All, listen, all the success in the world will not satisfy the deepest longing in your heart that only God can satisfy. So that's a, that's a burning bush. Social injustice turmoil. I see that with, with people who would classify themselves as kind of atheists. They're not religious, and yet they're in turmoil over the injustice. And, and my question is always like, why? If we came from insignificance and we're going to insignificance, then everything in between that is insignificant. I mean, whatever. I mean, you can say it's, oh, that's wrong, but who says? You can't say something is crooked unless you have a straight edge somewhere. So let me ask you, where's your straight edge? And I'll tell you where your straight edge is is because you've been creating an image of God and you have a sense of right and wrong deep in your heart and you just don't want to admit it. And as I've tried to walk through that with people that just want to deny the whole existence of God, it's like, then why are you so upset over how things are going? <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's a burning bush. It's a burning bush. How about this one, inexplicable people? I talked with someone just this last week and they told me that there were three people, this particular person has worked, worked for the, has retired from the fire service, from the fire department, and they watched three different people go through drastic, terrible losses, severe suffering, and though they grieved, there was an underlying hope and it was inexplicable to them. They go, that did not make sense. And, and these people all said all three of these people that had these terrible losses in the fire service, loss of a loved one as a result of a fire, and uh, all of them said it was because of God that they had hope, even in their grief, there was a hope, and this particular person was telling me that, and they go it was, it was like it was inexplicable i didn 't understand that. I watched these people go through horrible suffering, and they suffered well because God was, was with them. And, and I said, that's a burning bush. And they admitted that. They said, yeah, that's what turned, turned them towards God. I was thinking of a story by Timothy Keller out of New York City Redeemer Presbyterian Church there, and he talked about a woman who never thought much about God or religion, started coming to his church. He inquired a little bit about why she started coming, and she worked for one of the major network Uh, TV networks there in New York City and she said that uh, she had made a major mistake that cost the network millions of dollars and should have lost her job but her boss stepped up and took the blame for her and she was flabbergasted and she she went back uh, to talk to her boss and said hey why why in the world would you do that I've never seen that before because I've the bosses I've always had up to this point until I had you as a boss they want to push the blame on me and I don't understand that he says well hey yeah, okay, you're welcome, but I, I, you know, I, I just it's just something that I, that I wanted to do and I needed to do. And she said, no, 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 tell me, tell me why. She was persistent, and finally when he couldn't put her off any longer, he said, well, it's because I'm a, I'm a Christian. And she goes, no, that's not, that's not why, because I, I've known Christians, and they're, most Christians I've known are blame shifters. <laughs> and she goes, well, I don't know about them, but I can tell you this that my Savior came to this earth and took the ultimate blame for me, therefore I was able to take the blame for you. And it was inexplicable to her. She says, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that, I wanna know that God. And so she started going to a Redeemer Presbyterian church as a result of that. So those are, those are burning bushes. They can be the hard questions of life. Why do, people, why do wicked people prosper and righteous suffer as you're kind of working through this things, I've had a number of burning bushes in my life. There's two. Let me just share a couple of these with you. My, one of my very first ones was right after I had been baptized at age 10. I was baptized in the church at age 10. Uh, at age 12, I lost my grandfather, who, who was a pastor of a church in Flagstaff. And he used to take me hunting and fishing and, and uh, up in Flag. And I, I didn't, Death was not even on the radar for me as a kid, a 12-year-old. That rocked my world. I'll never forget this. I had a pastor in my church here in Phoenix stand over the top of me as I was grieving, and he said, son, young man, one of these days, you're going to step into his shoes and take up where he left off. As a 12-year-old, how do you... That... That continued to echo in my ears throughout my life into my adulthood. This is this is it right here. This church is part of that prophecy, that prediction, so to speak, that this guy spoke over me, and and it's pretty amazing. And and I'm not the only one. I, I've got other cousins and relatives that, that that also stepped into his shoes, so to speak. He had big shoes, okay, and, <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. Another uh, burning bush that I experienced was when I was first on the fire department and uh, I was on engine five and we went on a, a s- attempted suicide. And it wasn't an attempted suicide. It was a successful suicide and it was a 21-year-old who uh, took his life. And uh, I never seen anything like that. It just, it, it rocked my world. And John 10:10, 10, 10, the first part of that verse just smacked me right in the face. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I could never get that out of my mind and my heart. And it really drove my desire even that much more to start Desert Breeze, and, and therefore the, uh, uh, our, th- our theme verse is the second part of that verse, which is, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. But that was a burning bush experience for me. So those are burning bushes that God, God's speaking to us through those. Listen to what Elizabeth uh, Barrett Browning says. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Isn't that interesting? So, okay, here's the next question. So what happens uh, when we encounter God? The fire will answer that. I spent a little more time on that because I really wanted us to understand uh, what this bush, this burning bush experience is all about. Gave you a lot of illustrations there. Hopefully that was helpful. But uh, what happens when we encounter God? The fire will answer this question. Here's your next fill in the blank. The God of the Bible is a consuming fire. Verse 2 And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So he appeared to him in a flame of fire. Now, if you were to do another study of how often God appears in the Bible as a fire, there's quite a number of times. Here's just a few of those times. Genesis 15, 17, he's a fire pot. Exodus 13, 21 through 22, in in the Israelites' desert wanderings, as they're wandering in the desert, Uh, He's a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 19, 18, he's on Mount Sinai as a fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says God is a consuming fire. Now, why would that be great imagery, a a visual aid, so to speak, for us to understand God? It's the next point on your notes. Fire is both dangerous and beautiful at the same time. So there's something about the characteristics of fire that help us to understand God. Uh, is fire dangerous? Absolutely. Just ask uh, the Californians here recently with those wildfires that came in there and wiped out all of their homes. But is fire beautiful? How many have uh, put fire in their fireplaces this summer? I know it's been really hot, but you've uh, put it in, in your fireplaces this summer. It's kind of nice. How many? Oh, I'm sorry, winter. Did I say summer? <laughs> yeah, some of you guys are like, I, I don't ever put it in my head in the summertime. No wonder of you guys are looking at me that's weird. It's like, What is this guy talking about? What is he, insane? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How many have had it this winter, put a fireplace in there? How many on a no-burn day? (laughs) Just watching. Okay, no. Go ahead. Just invite me over, though, okay? I'll be on the lookout for you. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Uh, But yeah, because it's beautiful. We love that. It hasn't been cold enough, actually. uh, These last couple days, it's been a little bit colder, but... uh, it's been really warm. It's been crazy, but, but it's, both, it's both dangerous and beautiful at the same time. God is both dangerous and beautiful at the same time. He's both holy and loving. He's both holy and loving. Holiness is that aspect of his nature that demands payment for sin. Love is that aspect of his nature that seeks our justification So think about this as it relates to God. This is the concept that you you need to have of God. God is burning holiness, zero tolerance for evil and burning with passionate love, a love that won't stop until he's made us his own. See, this is a paradigm buster because we tend to see God as only loving or only holy. And by the way, this is how you try to find a healthy church. There's a lot of... Unhealthy churches, but they're churches that are imbalanced. You can find churches out there that they're only, they only talk about his love. And there's churches that really kind of only talk about his holiness. you got to have both. If you're going to be healthy, you got to have both. That's what ultimately transforms your life. If you have a holy only God, you're going to be insecure, self-righteous, and condemning of others. You're going to be religious. You're going to be legalistic. If you go to a church that's like that, that's condemning, that's because they only see God as holy, and they don't see God as loving. If you have a loving only God that never challenges you or holds you accountable, then you'll never grow or change. That's a, a, a liberal church. That's a church that's just like, that's all we ever talk about. There's, actually, there's some of the more popular TV preachers are, are that right there. All they want to talk about, God, you know. They, God's loving, don't want to talk about sin, don't want to talk about any negative stuff, but it's imbalanced, and people's lives won't change as a result of that. It's, it's called liberalism. But what's interesting about this idea of God being fire, this, this imagery that he's both dangerous and beautiful, he's both holy and loving, fire is unyielding and shapes us. It's meant to transform us. We don't shape it. Like water or clay, you can kind of shape it. You put your hand in water, you can move it around, or clay, you can move that around. But uh, uh, fire, you put your hand in fire, you're going to get burned. In fact, it goes like this. Here's the next point on your notes. If you won't listen to his convicting voice, his holiness, you won't be able to hear his comforting voice, his love. All I'm saying is that you don't, you're not the one that defines God. He defines, because I hear people say this, well, I don't, I don't believe in a God like that, or, or my God wouldn't do that, or any, any number of things. How many have heard people actually say things like that? Show of hands, yep. Yeah. It's, and I'm thinking, you don't define God. God defines God. He defines himself. You're not the one that comes up with how you're going to decide how God is. And, 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 and you can find a church somewhere in the valley that kind of preaches your kind of God which is totally unhealthy, but, but this goddess is one, he defines himself, and, and there should be both a conviction and a comforting in your life. When we come together and we read his word, there should be conviction like, oh, my goodness, and also at the same time, a comfort. Oh, my goodness, I'm a mess. I need help. Yes, and here's the comfort because he loves me. There's his grace. If you don't experience his comfort, it's probably because you don't understand his conviction. So, so let me say that again. If you won't listen to his convicting voice, his holiness, you won't be able to hear his comforting voice, his love. You must be willing to hear everything he has to say or eventually you won't be able to hear anything he has to say. By the way, he doesn't convict us to shame us but to show us the way to greater satisfaction and freedom in him. If you're hearing condemnation, you're not hearing it from, from God. He, he convicts us to draw us in, to see, a, see our need for Him. Condemnation comes from the enemy, it comes from legalistic religious people that don't understand God, that He's both holy and, and loving. And, and so, so it's really important to, to have that balance between the two. Now, so, so think about this. So, so if you're going to be healthy as a Christian, you need to see that He's great. Indescribably great. His greatness is indescribable. But his goodness is unimaginable. Oh my goodness. So it should be almost a sense of wow and mm, satisfaction. It's like, oh my goodness. And at the same time, ah, oh, he's great and he's good. He's powerful, he's personal. He's transcendent, he's imminent you got to have that balance because listen to me see if you can track with this see it's his greatness it's his greatness that makes his goodness so comforting and it's his goodness that makes his greatness so convicting you got to have the balance i, I want i don't want to dishonor him after all he's done for me oh my goodness that's the reason why I, I've always struggled when, and I've heard these guys talk about God in, in almost kind of a cavalier, casual way, and I'm thinking, you haven't encountered God, like He's your buddy? I know that the Bible says that He's our friend, but He's God. He's Lord. He's Savior. And you've got to maintain that balance, otherwise you get into some, some extremes that are really unhealthy. Listen to what Timothy Keller says. He says, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. So when you come out of here on a weekend service, as you study God's word, there should be both this conviction and comfort at the same time, kind of going back and forth between the two. And so here's the next point. Why can we encounter God? The angel answers that question for us. There's a bigger riddle here than the burning bush not being uh, consumed by fire. It's interesting here. Did you notice in verse four when uh, he? Uh, so when Moses turns aside and begins to come up close to the bush, God speaks to him through the bush and says, "Moses, Moses, remember that." It's like, Ugh, what is that? I'm here. And, it, and what's interesting, it's uh, in Hebrew, the doubling of a word means magnitude or intensity. In other words, he's saying, I want to have relationship with you. So he says, Moses, Moses. Then he says, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy. What is that about? That seems like a paradox. That's a contradiction. Come close. Don't come any closer. <laughs> That's odd. I, I think there's, there's something... Certainly to that, do not come near. Take off your sandals. And so Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is not a hallmark greeting card understanding of God, okay? Like I said, I struggle with the cavalier, casual kind of attitude that people have when they, they call God or Jesus their buddy. Or, you know, and they're almost kind of demeaning in what they're saying. There's no sense of awe and wonder. And uh, really what he's saying here to Moses, you're standing on fatal territory. Besides that, I found it interesting as I was reading through this, Moses seems to whine to God throughout this section. Did you guys see that? Does he sound like he's a whiner? He's kind of complaining. It's like, you're standing before God. So it gives me a lot of hope, okay? As I read that, I'm like... He's standing before the face of God, and he's like, well, who am I? He's self-absorbed. That's our problem. There's a self-absorption about all of us. He's like, well, who am I? Well, it's not about you, dude. It's about me. I am that I am. and so I'll be with you. And, so he's, and, and we're going to see this in the next chapter, too, as we work, uh, walk through this. You're going to want to come back next week because we're going to talk about his empowering presence and kind of working through all of our arguments. So he's arguing with God. Who wins when you argue with God? <laughs> not you. And so he's going to we're going to talk about there's like five different arguments that he brings and They're probably the same arguments that you bring to God. And so we're going to see God just knock them flat, each one. Boom, boom, boom. Just saying, "No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no." Nope. And so that's what he's doing, but but w- the bigger issue here here is uh, the, the greater riddle is not it's not the bush, but why is Moses why is Moses not consumed? See, the bush is a picture of him in a sense. How is this possible? Uh, Went on a call uh, when I was on the fire department. I was on engine uh, EP710, and uh, it was a tree trimmer that was trimming big branches out of a tree, and one of the branches fell down on a hot electrical line, killed him dead. Boom. He had a harness on, so he was strapped to the tree. And, of course, when we arrive on the scene, we're like, ah... Is this tree? Is this tree, uh, you know, full of electricity? And so we were very careful. We waited. We had to wait for because this is going to be a body retrieval anyway. And he was just laying up there. He was still attached to the tree with his harness. And uh, so we had to make sure that APS had come and shut it off. And so we went up there and got him. But it just knocked him dead, just like that. There was another call that uh, we went on one time. I was on. Uh, I was on, uh, yeah, I was on e- engine uh, 10 on this one and it was an alley fire that had gone into a backyard and there was a car back there and we were back there trying to fight the fire and I came around the car and didn't realize that there were some electrical lines that had come down and, um, and they were like bouncing and bouncing off this car and l- lit this car on fire and started the f- car on fire and it was one of those moments that it was wet your pants moment. <laughs> it's like I came around and was like, whoa. It's like an electrical line. It could have knocked me dead. It was it was alive. It was crazy. It was out of control. And and I'll never forget that. This is one of those moments right here that Moses is standing before God. Don't you come any closer. You're going to be knocked dead. And I gave you some verses, really, in that that, that, that talk about that. How, and here's the big question. It's on your notes. How can sinful people have a relationship with a holy God? Because he even tells us in Exodus 33:20, no one can see me and, and live. So how is that? We can approach a, a holy God and we're, we're so sinful. Well, the answer is, next point on your notes, the angel of the Lord is Jesus. This is absolutely fascinating. This is beautiful. This is what some call a Christophany. I put on your notes a theophany. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now now you need to learn something about this that anytime time when you're studying through the Old Testament, it's gonna make a distinction between an angel of the Lord versus the angel of the Lord. There's a difference between the two. You guys know that? You guys are familiar with that? So when it says, an angel of the Lord, it's speaking of an angel, okay? It's it's speaking of literally, this is an angel. Uh, There are uh, messenger angels and military angels and ministry angels, and the Bible talks about that. And typically, those kind of angels will will be speaking in behalf of God. And also, one of the things you'll notice about those kind of angels is that they won't receive any worship. Someone tries to worship them, they go, don't do that. (laughs) Believe me, I'm in the presence of God, and you don't want to do that. Don't worship me. He's the one you need to worship. But when it's the angel of the Lord, it's a Christophany. This is Jesus. And, and you know that because he's not speaking in behalf of the Lord. He is the Lord. He's speaking. And what he, what he speaks, that's coming from directly from him. And not only that, he doesn't reject worship. He receives it. So it's pretty fascinating as you make that distinction, and so a theophany or Christophany is a visible manifestation of God. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He told them, he's always been around, he's always existed, he is eternal, he is God in the flesh. Here's your next point on your notes. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man who atones for our sins at his own infinite cost. That's your fill in the blank. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man who atones, atonement at onement, brings us into fellowship with God, atones, pays the price for our sins, At his own infinite cost, 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 6, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So on the cross, both the holiness of God and the love of God are fully demonstrated and vindicated, it's absolutely beautiful. That's why I love what Max Lucado says in The Grip of Grace. He says, what a God! Ponder the achievement of God. He doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, He assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself. God's holiness is honored. Our sin is punished and we are redeemed. God does what we cannot do so we can be what we dare not dream perfect before God. And so that's when we look at the cross, that's what we're seeing. Both both the holiness of God and the love of God being demonstrated. So when do we know we have encountered God? The call answers that for us. Here's your next fill in the blank. God calls us in. He calls us in into intimacy with him to send us out with his absolute sufficient presence. With his absolute sufficient presence. And so verse 11, I I just found that really interesting Moses says, Well, who who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Like I said, next week we'll talk about all these different uh, arguments that he brings to God, but who am I? And so that's just a sign that we're self absorbed. We're a very self absorbed uh, culture, and it's because we're glory hungry, because we've yet to encounter the glory of God that takes us out of ourselves. And we quit trying to make much of ourselves, we begin to make much of Him. And so God answered him, I am who I am. I put this on your notes. What does that mean? It means he's self-existent, transcendent, independent God of the universe. I love this. This is the definition of, anytime you read in the Old Testament and you've got the capital, all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. So, but if it's capital L, lowercase O-R-D, it's just speaking in a general sense, God, but when you see L O R D, all capital letters, Yahweh, He's defining what His name means. Not only that, we have a God, He's not a force. He's a person. We can have relationship with him. He has a name. He has a character. He has attributes. We can encounter him. We can know him. He's the essence of, of reality, relationship, relationship with God. That's why you hear me say that uh, intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality because he's, that's what he's defining here. Self-existent, transcendent, independent God of the universe The the fire explains the answer God gives to Moses for his name. I'm the fire that needs no fuel. I have no beginning or end. I I always am. Absolutely no power or being has caused me because I am the cause and the source of all power and being. That's what that means. I depend on nothing, everything depends on me. This is known as the aseity of God. I've got it on your notes there, aseity. That's that attribute, A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity of God. Now, just, okay, we're almost finished, but think about this just for a moment. You ever have those thoughts about God, and you think, wait a minute. He has no beginning and no end. He's always existed. In fact, he created everything out of nothing. Whoa, my circuits are blowing right now like wow my goodness this god this creator he created you and he loves you and he sent his son to die for you and to make you his child whom he lavishes his love upon that's overwhelming When you have those deep thoughts, you turn away from the distractions and and all the stuff in this life. Oh my goodness, there's not a greater thought than that to know this God, to experience him, to encounter him. Just, it's amazing. His absolute sufficient presence is is kind of just a summary statement. There's nothing more practical because everything you do wrong and every experience of inordinate anxiety or anger or despair happens either because you don't know his absolute sufficient presence or at that moment you are forgetting about his absolute sufficient presence. His absolute sufficient presence. Did you notice when when he said but who am I to go to him? He goes I will be with you. I am that I am, my absolute sufficient presence. You're not getting it. You wouldn't be pushing back like that. You're anxious for no good reason. I am with you. His absolute sufficient presence. The more you interact with God, the more you'll find yourself satisfied in Him and less satisfied with things much less important. I found that in my own life. Here's your next point. He will send you out in everyday life to be a burning bush. He wants your life to be a burning bush to other people's lives. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, Let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, an encounter with God is something that engages and energizes your mind, emotions, and will. Let me walk you through this because this is what's got to happen week in and week out, day after day. When you spend time with Him, as you get to know Him, as you encounter Him, an encounter with God is something that engages and energizes your mind, emotions, and will. This is extremely important. If you go through the motions ritually and affirm the biblical doctrines and beliefs of God mentally without ever experiencing in your inner being emotionally a ravishing sense of the beauty and the glory of God, energizing you with love, joy, peace, it's not an encounter with God. If you're just coming and just cramming your cranium full of theology and it doesn't move you, you haven't encountered him. In fact, you'll probably just be proud because of all the knowledge you have. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, if you go to a service and have an emotional experience, but it doesn't change you fundamentally in how you live your life. In other words, it doesn't change your character or your life patterns. It's not an encounter with God. See, what happens is God comes into your life and he turns you into something beautiful and you become inexplicable. You become a burning bush. You become something that turns people aside in someone that people go to because they go, wow, I, I, whatever you've got, I want. Because there's truth about God that has invaded your heart so this content has become conviction that has become a commitment in your life and it begins to transform you and how you respond to life and how you how you do life people will look at you and go man I can't figure you out and you just go I can't figure me out okay it's God. I don't understand, but man, I'll tell you what, as I continue to walk with him and get to know him, he has transformed my life. See, the person who spends time with God radiates his glory in a manner that is always warm and welcoming, never cold and condemning there's something about people that have spent time with God, they radiate His glory, and you're like, man, I want, I want that. I want that in my life. Here's the next point. Part of the reason why people are cold and condemning is because they're full of pride and fear, and they're religious, or they're too irreligious. If they're hateful and argumentative and It's because of pride and fear. Here's the last point. You will have an inexplicable, humble confidence. No pride, no fear. See, if you have in Jesus an absolutely holy God, an absolutely loving God, a God who is so holy, he had to die for you. You were so sinful, and he's so holy, he had to die for you. It's indispensable what he's done for you. That humbles you, but you also have a God who loved you so much, he wanted to die for you. Oh my goodness, that takes you to the sky. That gives you a confidence unlike you've ever had before. And that's what transforms you. That gives you that humble confidence. And what happens in your life is that you become a person who's loving, loving even when people are hateful towards you. You become a person that's joyful even when things seem to be hopeless. You become a person who's peaceful even when all hell is breaking loose. You become a person who's patient when most would blow up or give up. You cannot, you cannot encounter the creator of the universe and remain the same. Let's pray. So, Father God, in in our wilderness and non-wilderness times, may we turn aside from our busyness and our amusements and our distractions and think deeply about the burning bushes in our lives. May these disruptions... These paradigm busters, these difficulties, these disappointments be our appointments with you, our holy, loving God. May, may we be attentive and receptive to your convicting voice as much as we are to your comforting voice. Thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus as the only mediator who atones for our sins at his own infinite cost. We trust in him for our complete salvation. Send us out to be burning bushes in the lives of the people in our circle of influence. We pray these things for your glory and our joy and Jesus is in Jesus' beautiful and holy name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys.